Now, a bit of information. Luke wasn't one of the apostles. He was probably a Greek. He was a physician, doctor, and a historian. And he carefully, having come to know Jesus as his saviour, went around asking questions so that he could find out as much as possible about the time the Lord Jesus spent on the earth. And he put his gospel, which we have together, in a different way to others. Sometimes he just throws things in just to sort of explain or, or, or give a picture of, what, of the lessons he's been trying to teach. And I think that's probably what we have here because it's as long ago as chapter 9 in his gospel that he talks about Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. And here we are, eight chapters later, and he's still on the way to Jerusalem. But Luke's been bringing in lots of teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things he's been bringing in is that Jesus kept saying to his followers, the people who were following him, not just the disciples, the apostles, but lots of people were following him. All sorts of people were following him. And he's been saying to them all, watch yourselves. Look into your own hearts. Don't think just because you're in the crowd that's following behind me that you are one of my people. You need to look into the reality of your own experience. It's not the person next to you's experience that matters. It's yours. It's not that your friends are Christians. It's whether you are or not. And Jesus has been saying this. Watch yourselves. Look out. Don't think that it's other people who cause people problems. It might be you. And if it is you, you should be careful. And he talks about what real faith is like. And he talks about how to exercise real faith. And he talks about worshipping God like a slave rather than willingly being glad to worship God. You see, that was the trouble with a lot of the religious people around in Jesus' day, that it was a duty to worship God. They felt they had to do it and they had to get up at a certain time every day and they had to say the same prayers at the same time every day and they had to do it every day. And there were little things that they could do and little things that they couldn't do. They had over 600 rules. Imagine that. And Jesus said, that, that's not what makes a follower. And it's almost as if Luke then chucks in this picture. Something that really happened. And he just chucks it in. Eight verses. And he's trying to teach us a lesson. What's it like to be a real Christian? What's it like to be a real believer in Jesus? And he talks about these people. Jesus is on a road. Don't know which road. I know where it was, roughly. But it was quite a long road, you see. Because the border between Samaria... Oh dear me, how do you do this? There we go. Let's say, if you're looking this way, okay, Samaria's there, Jerusalem's there, Samaria comes all the way down here, Perea is there, 
And Jesus is coming down somewhere here, okay? He's on the borderlands between them. So there are all sorts of people he's meeting. They're not just Jewish people. There's Samaritans, there's probably Syrians, there's probably Persians, there's all sorts of people down in this border area because people are crisscrossing, going in all directions. And Jesus is coming down. Luke says, don't, you don't need to know exactly where. He was on the border and he was going to Jerusalem. And he came to a village and you don't even know, need to know what village he was. But he was coming to a village because the villages were built on the roads. So the roads went through the villages. It was logical for those people because they didn't have very big roads, not even a road like Nuxley Road outside. They were quite narrow roads and they didn't have tarmac on them. They were just dirty and dusty. And the reason that they were firm at all was because people walked on them and camels walked on them. So people travelled from village to village to village to village. If you go through the valleys of Wales, you'll experience that. You drive up through the valleys of Wales and it's like being in one long town because the towns just move one into the other because they're all on the same road. But originally, of course, there was quite big gaps between them, but now they've all grown together. And Jesus is coming to a village. And he's on the borderland. And as he's coming into the village, there's this group of men. And there they are. But they're not in the village. And they're not on the road. Could have been on a little slope somewhere, but they're a fair distance away. And they shout out with a loud voice. How do I know it was a loud voice? Well, what's one of these called that we sometimes see people using when they want to talk to a lot of people and they don't think their voice can reach? What do we call it? A megaphone. And the word megaphone comes from the words that were used here by Luke. Okay? Loud voice. Megaphone. So these men, ten of them, they shout out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So what we're going to think about this morning is, I'm glad there's children here because I can only do simple sermons. Because I'm a simple little Welshman. Okay, so here we go. You'll all remember this sermon, won't you? Promise? You'll remember the headings, won't you? Okay, because I'm going to tell them to you now. Ten desperate men. Okay. Ten blessed men. One thankful man. One saved man. Okay. Ten desperate men. Ten blessed men. One thankful man. One saved man. Now, some people use this passage to preach sermons about thankfulness. And I am think I am going to mention thankfulness because it's important. But that's not what it's about, really. That's not what it's about. This message is about what a difference it makes when you come to Jesus. That's what it's about. So these men, there they are. I want you to think about them. Have you ever been really desperate? 
there have been lots of times in our lives when we've thought we were pretty desperate. I'm sure that. I'm sure you've experienced that. Whether it was in school, when you knew exams were coming and you were desperate to learn some more quick. Or in work, when you were desperate for the day to end because you'd had a miserable day. But I don't know whether we've ever been really desperate. I think my mum and dad, at the time that they lived, when they had six children, all under ten, and one job, not paying very much, knew what it was sometimes to be pretty desperate at the end of a week. Um, and I don't think I've ever experienced that. But I'm not patronising very. I think some people do have a desperate life at the moment. There are people in our country who are desperately living from hand to mouth. It's a shame on us, I think, but that's not a, politi a political statement. It's just a comment, I think. It's a shame that in a nation that has so much, there should be people that have so little. But these men were really desperate. They had an illness, but it might not have been the leprosy that med medical people talk about today, which has been largely eradicated, not totally, but largely, which is a terrible disease that kills the nerves. And, and that's why, if you ever see pictures of people who've got leprosy, they're often disfigured. And it's because they've got no feeling. So they touch a... If I touch a fire, I go like that. But they don't. They hold their finger like that on a fire. It wouldn't hurt. It would burn away their flesh, but they wouldn't feel it. Terrible thing. It's a terrible disease. But in the Bible, leprosy was used for lots of infectious skin diseases. And if you had one of these infectious skin diseases, it might not have been the leprosy that we call leprosy. The Bible also, and you can read all this in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, brought in rules for going into quarantine. We think we invented going into quarantine when COVID came, don't we? But the Bible said... If someone's got an infectious disease, you've got to separate them from everybody else. And if it's a particularly virulent one, then they've got to wear ragged clothes. They've got to let their hair grow straggly. They've got to be quarantined from everybody else. And they've got to shout out if someone's coming near them, I am unclean. Can you imagine that? I am unclean. Can you imagine shouting to your friends, I am unclean, or your neighbours? And unless their disease was healed, and many of them were healed, they couldn't go back to their home, they couldn't go back to their friends, they couldn't go to school, they couldn't go to work, they couldn't do anything. So you can imagine, that's desperate, really desperate. And these ten men were living in the borderland. That's why Luke tells us it's the borderland. They, they weren't in Israel or Judah. They weren't in Samaria. They weren't in Perea. 
because they couldn't live in their home villages. So they'd all sort of somehow gathered together in their misery and in their desperation they'd found that they could be with each other because they all had the same problem. So they could support each other in some ways. If their families came to bring food to them, they would have to leave it hundreds of yards away. And then when all the people who brought it had gone away, they could go down and collect it. And I'm sure they shared it with each other because they were all in the same boat. But then they heard things. They heard about this Jesus. See, the, the news was going everywhere. And I've got no doubt that one of their family's members had come one day and said, Hey, by the way, do you know there's this fella called Jesus, comes from Nazareth, and he heals lepers. You go back to Luke chapter 5 and find out about one he healed there. All he did was touch him and he was better if he comes this way you watch out for him he may pass by because I think he's going to Jerusalem and then one day there they are the ten of them and they see a crowd of people coming down the road and they say Who's, who is it? Jesus and they look at each other and they say, well, remember what we heard about him. What are they going to do in their desperation? They're going to sit there and say, oh, well, we can't go there. We can't go into the village and listen to him. We can't get near him. No, they're not going to do that, are they? They're desperate. So they shout out, Jesus, Master. That's an acknowledgement that they believe that Jesus had authority have mercy on us you're in charge have pity on us do you know that's a big lesson for us all to learn because we've got a bigger problem than those lepers had you know every single one of us is living with a sinful heart listen to what one of the apostles wrote in a book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 for when we were still without strength when we were desperate in due time Christ died for the ungodly scarcely for a righteous man will one die perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for the desperate. And these men were desperate. And they shout out. Ten desperate men. Next heading. Ten blessed men. Ten blessed men. On this occasion, Jesus doesn't make any move to get near to these men and touch them. He doesn't touch them. I wonder if that disappointed them for a start. 
I wonder if they thought, look, he'll tell everyone else to stay there and he'll walk over to us. And he'll go around touching us all and suddenly we'll all be better. But he doesn't do that. He just stands there and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. It's a bit off the wall, isn't it? Is he talking about the Catholic Church down the road? Go down to the Catholic Church and show yourself to the priest? Or the Anglican Church where some of them call themselves priests? No, he was talking about the days in which he lived. When there were people whose job was to be the priest. Now, you didn't go to a doctor to be told that you were clean from the leprosy. Even if a doctor told you you were healed, that didn't mean you could go back to your family or your friends or your village or anything else. The only person who could say that you were clean was the priest. You can read it in Leviticus again. It's all there. So to be told that they were clean and go back home, they had to go to the priest. But I suspect they were a little bit, well, I don't know. But you see, it all seemed such a strange thing to do, and yet they did it. You notice that? They did it. They went. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, you have to use your imagination, don't you? I don't know what their various symptoms were, but some of them certainly would have had damage on their hands, perhaps on their faces. And as they're walking away from Jesus and to, towards where they would find a priest, one of them says, Oh, look, your fingers are much better than they were yesterday. And you look, Oh, yeah. And do you know that really bad mark you had on your face? It's gone. No. Yeah, it's gone. And look at your toes. They're like a baby's. Can you imagine what they were feeling like? It's, it's supposed to electrify you. Because they were... It's just as they were going. It was happening. And they weren't dragging their feet away from Jesus anymore. They were almost running to get to the priest as fast as they could before it all went wrong. Because they all... All they cared about now was let's get declared clean and go home. Because they had fantastic blessing, didn't they? And you know, that's a real lesson for us. We all have amazing blessings from God every day of our lives. Whether we call ourselves Christians or not, every day of our lives we're being blessed by God. We're blessed by a world that keeps its place in the universe so that we don't all fall off. We're blessed to live in a country where we have many good things. We're blessed to have families and friends and schools and food and cosmetics and clothes. We have all these blessings. And we might still be walking away from Jesus. Because these men were. They were walking, all right, they were going to the priest, 
But the priest was only a stepping stone on their way back to their old life. Except for one of them. One thankful man. And one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Don't forget, Luke is trying to show us what a real believer in Jesus is like. And it wasn't the nine who were healed and had all those blessings, but they were still walking away. It was the one who came back. It was that one man. Now, he would have to be declared clean by a priest at some point. But actually, he didn't care about that at the moment. He would go home at some point. But he didn't care about that at the moment. Because what he understood now was that he had encountered the Saviour. He had met with the one who had been promised to the people of Israel throughout their history. The Messiah the one who in Luke chapter 4 had sat in his hometown and told people all the prophecies are being fulfilled in me. Now they didn't like it. They chased him out. But Jesus is the one. And Luke is showing us from event after event after event that there is another one. It's only Jesus. And this man realized it. He knew that he had met the Savior. He knew that he didn't deserve the blessing. He knew that his life now should be spent with Jesus, serving him. And so, instead of going to the priest, he went back. All of that could wait what was important now was that he should be with Jesus and worship him and the point is Luke is telling us that if we follow Jesus we won't have a slavish spirit we won't be bound up with all the rules we won't be caught up with that we'll want to be with Jesus We'll want to worship him. And that's what this man wanted to do. Now, Luke is also telling us that this was a man from a despised nation. The Jews hated the Samaritans. There's a lot of history behind that. I haven't got time to give you a history lesson. But you can read about it in the Bible. They were a mongrel people. They were a mixture of people who were originally Jews and people from all sorts of nations who'd conquered them at various times. And it's very interesting that Jesus keeps bumping into Samaritans. He meets a Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. When he wants to tell a story about what real love is like, he tells a story about a Samaritan who cares for people. And now we're told this one who comes back is a Samaritan. Amazing. And it's just like a story in the Old Testament, which you might like to read sometime in 2 Kings chapter 4 I think Naaman 
who wasn't an Israelite and who didn't fancy ducking his head in the dirty old river Jordan but he did it and he was cured of his leprosy and he worshipped God so the lesson is this hey doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter what your nation is doesn't matter what your background is doesn't matter what your problem is bring it to Jesus and he'll sort you out he'll change your life forever and you will want to be with him don't come to church because it's a nice place to go it is a nice place to go don't come to church because the people are nice because they are nice I mean that's great I love going to different churches because I've been, I've been blessed to go to lots of places in the world when I was with a missionary organisation. And I've met people in the Amazon jungle who are Christians. They're really nice. And I've met people in, in villages in India who are Christians and they're really nice. People are lovely. Christians are lovely people. We're supposed to be. But it doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is that you should worship Jesus. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and made me live again. Is, is your heart like that? See, this, uh, this man was more interested in worship than duty the others were saying to each other it's our duty to go and see the priest so that we can go home this man was saying I want to go and worship Jesus I want to bow down before him I want to fall at his feet isn't it interesting that he fell at his feet I wonder if he put his hands on his feet so he did get to touch Jesus but you know he was a thankful man. And he was determined now that he would worship Jesus. And, and ladies and gentlemen, if you come to Jesus knowing that you're a sinner, if you come to him acknowledging that you've got a problem that you can't cure, and you hear him say, repent, be sorry for what you've done, and follow me and you say yes Lord then you're like that man in the New Testament the, well another book of Luke is the book of Acts Luke, Luke wrote that as well and in Acts chapter 16 he writes about Paul in prison and a rough tough old Roman soldier comes to him and says what shall I do to be saved and Paul says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be trust him throw yourself on him commit yourself to him totally do you know Jesus doesn't take from us he gives to us when we come to him he gives us life in all its fullness now I know what it is to live it's not tied up with all the stuff out there 
It's tied up with my relationship to God, knowing Him. So it's another song we sing, modern song, isn't it? Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing than this man, this one man, worked it out. And Jesus said, He could have put it this way how sad it is. I thought there were ten of you. Where's the others? You see, there are so many people in this world who are the beneficiaries of the grace and mercy of God. There are so many people who've been blessed by all the wonderful good things that God gives us. And they may not be doing it overtly, but in their hearts they're walking away from God. And they'd rather the duty than the worship. They, they've got more important things to do than worship Jesus. Have you got more important things to do with your life than to be eternally right with God? Well, you're... Do you know, I never thought I'd live to be 73, and here I am. None of my parents or parents-in-law did. I'm now the oldest in my family. But 73 years is nothing. Because there's an eternity to be spent with God. I wonder if this man walked down the road towards Jesus. We used to have a guy in our congregation who sometimes when I said something would go, Hallelujah! I wonder if that was in his heart as he was walking towards, Hallelujah! You're the Lord! I love you. I want to worship you for the rest of my life. I want to live for you. I want to be with you. And he was a saved man. Jesus said to him, he's the one saved man in this story, I believe, anyway. Who knows whether those men may not later have changed and realized what, what they should be doing. But on the face of it, he's the one man who comes to Jesus and worships him. And Jesus says, arise, go your way. In our version, your faith has made you well. In the original authorized version, your faith has made you whole. You've been made complete. You are whole. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't change us and leave us in a mess. But in his grace and mercy, he doesn't take the old and patch it up. He makes us new. He gives us a new life. And you can have a new life in Christ if you will come to him and as it were fall down before him and acknowledge that you need him because the Bible tells us that nobody who ever came to Jesus and said I need you was sent away so ten desperate men ten Blessed men. One thankful man. One saved man.
And where do you fit into the story? Well, we're going to close with a hymn.